I recognized a lot of those scaffoldings of doing versus being of, of, you know, being a human doing rather than a human being. Mm -hmm. And I thought, wow, for such time as this, if soul care was relevant to me 11 years ago, it is even more relevant to me and to a lot of leaders because of the pandemic. Welcome to the Wellspring Soul Care Podcast. I'm your host, Richard Gotthard. At Wellspring, we deeply desire to see pastors and leaders, well, actually everyone, to lead and serve God and other people out of a well-tended inner life. We know that the pressures and expectations most leaders face are enormous and challenging. Especially if you're a faith leader, we desire to come alongside and help you to lead in ways that are sustainable and intentional integrated with a wholeness of life and generative. In other words, we want to see you flourish and thrive, not merely survive. So on this podcast, we talk to authors, pastors, thought leaders, and others who are seeking to practice life and ministry in the ways of Jesus. We know there are a lot of voices clamoring for our attention these days, and we want to listen most closely to ones that are seeking to understand and to emulate the one who is life and truth, the one who knows what's best for our souls and our ministries, Jesus, the one who calls us his beloved. Today's podcast is an introduction to the newest member of our Wellspring team, Anthony Mejia. Anthony joined the Wellspring staff back in December as our new executive director. Anthony's life has been a journey, at times a roller coaster of a journey, but it has led him ever onwards towards the very core of what we're about at Wellspring, to discover and live from his heart's truest calling, an identity in Jesus. I trust you're going to enjoy getting to know Anthony, and here's our interview. We are here today with Anthony Mejia, who is the new executive director, well, new in the last couple of months at Wellspring. And I just am excited for you to get to know Anthony. If you don't already, you are going to be super encouraged to hear not only his story, but his heart. And uh, it's been just a joy for me to get to know him better over these last few months. So Anthony, I'd love to just kind of step back, if you will, and that would be into your upbringing. Tell, you know, kind of where were you born? Uh, what was that like? Tell us a little bit about that. Sure. Um, I was born in the Philippines, and uh, we I lived there for my first 10 years of my life. And then we, my family moved to, uh, to Guam for four years, and then we eventually moved to the United States, immigrated to the United States. And um, my dad worked for First National Citibank, which is a, an American... Um, subsidiary of Citibank. And so he was responsible for starting branches throughout the Pacific Rim. And so we got a chance to to live in Guam and then uh, and he would do his thing. Um, and then when his assignment was completed, we were supposed to go back to the Philippines, but my parents decided that 
a better idea was to actually immigrate to the United States. So then you get to the U.S. and you're how old? I'm about, I just turned 13 when we came to the U.S. Okay. And you're in Southern California? We landed in Santa Barbara. Okay. Yeah. And what, and what was that like being, I mean, did you feel like, uh, this is great. I love it here. Or did you feel like, did you have any you know, f- friends connection? What did it, what did you, how did you feel? It was, it was a tough transition. Uh, so imagine you're in junior high, uh, and, and the thing that happened also is as we were immigrating to the U S my parents decided to get a divorce. Mm-hmm. And, and so it was tough from an emotional standpoint and, um, but also for me personally, because I, uh, English is a second language. So I studied it in the Philippines, but it's like studying Spanish here in the U S uh, I had book knowledge, but I really wasn't conversational in it. Wow. So in Guam, I picked up an accent. There's a Guamanian accent. And so I had the Filipino accent, the Guamanian accent, and I land in Santa Barbara, and, and you couldn't even understand me. I mean, <laughs> and most people were like, what are you saying again? Uh, my accent was so thick. And, and so we land in, in, uh, in Santa Barbara. My parents just got divorced. I'm in, I'm, uh, I'm in junior high. And, and you know how junior high kids are. I mean, there's just... Any weakness, they'll, yeah. <laughs> they just jump on it. And then the other thing I remember is I was so cold. And, oh. and uh, so I'd walk around in those big puffy jackets <laughs> uh, before they were cool. Yeah. And people, people would be looking at me and going, what is wrong with you? And <sighs> where are you from? So there weren't, you weren't seeing a lot of people that looked like you in Santa Barbara, I'm picturing. Not even in Santa Barbara. I, I remember, I, I think there was, well... So fortunately, we had some cousins that had that were living in Santa Barbara, but aside from them, I, I knew another f- family that was Filipino, uh, and so most of the communities in Santa Barbara, at least back then, were either uh, white families or Latino families. Not very many Filipino families. Wow, I mean that sounds incredibly, I could say, disorienting, lonely, and and then are you? Because of the, you know, you're in your family, you're, are you being told basically now you're the man of the house at 13? Yeah. And that was, that's a very, uh, traditional approach in the Philippines. Mm. Um, whether it's, you know, a parent dies or, or a breakup or, um, the dad leaves the family. It's always the, the burden now falls on the first male, um, born of the family in which I was. And so when my parents got divorced, I, there was a, I just still remember this. There was a constant, almost barrage of friends and family saying, you're now the man of the house, using exactly those words. And then to add to that, because getting to the United States was such a dream for at least my family of origin, there was this um, me- second message that said that they would say to me, don't waste this opportunity. Mm. So you, you got a chance to come to the United States and don't waste this opportunity. And by the way, be the man of the house for your mom and your three siblings. Oh my goodness. The other thing that, that actually added to that dynamic is when we left the Philippines, uh, martial law had just been enforced so it felt like there was, there was no going back, right? Mm. So it was almost like, hey, this is you just got to keep moving forward, and there was this pressure to don't blow this because you're one of the lucky ones that got out, 
And now you've got this opportunity. And there were all these sacrifices that your parents and, and family made so that you can come to the United States. My goodness, Anthony. I mean, that's an incredible amount of weight and pressure to put on a 13-year-old who is in a new culture, uh, isolated, alone. Your family has just gone through the trauma of a breakup and a move. And I mean, how did, how did all that weight, how did that feel to have all that weight on your shoulders and expectation and, and even, and yeah, that's just a lot of burden. I think at the time I didn't understand that. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it was, I was probably on survival mode mm-hmm. and just trying to fit in in the new culture, in a new country and, and really surviving. I mean, my mom was single-handedly um, raising my three siblings and myself on, uh, she was an undocumented uh, immigrant. Mm-hmm. And so there was always this specter of what if she got found out and mm. she got shipped or I don't know, we didn't even know what was going to happen, but there was this, this unspoken reality that um, she's not here legally. Mm-hmm. And, and so we had to make sure that we were always flying under the radar. And, and this is, I think, true for a lot of Asian cultures is that we were taught to to fly under the radar and assimilate and not create waves. Gotcha. And so that was my mode is like, how can I, uh, I remember thinking, okay, I need to become this all American boy now and fit in as much as I can so that I don't waste this opportunity and I don't let my family down. And, um, and knowing just a little of your journey, you, 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 uh, your high school football coach was, wasn't a part of your faith journey. That's right. Is that right? Yeah, I, you know, and and probably looking back, I was probably looking for a father figure, mm-hmm. um, and and as you know, by the grace of God, my football coach, and I thought he was so much older, but he was probably just three or four years older than me, right? Mm. And, um, and and but what he did is he he had a way of doing things that really attracted me, and and made me curious. Hmm. And, and so I remember one, and he was also my chemistry teacher. I remember after, staying after class one time and, and just saying, hey, what is it about you that you can make a decision or, or uh, be it popular or unpopular and feel good about it? And I think there was a need in me that wanted something like that because I'd been such a chameleon for the reasons that we talked about. Yeah, I wanted to understand what that was like and he shared his faith with me. Wow. He said that it's because of my relationship with Jesus, which was such a foreign concept for me. Yeah. You had, did you have a faith background coming into that? Well, I was born um, Catholic. So you're Filipino. You're born Filipino and Catholic or raised Catholic. Right. Uh, you didn't have a choice. You just uh, assumed. <laughs> that's right. I was baptized, I confirmed before I was six, right? Then mm. six years old. Uh, and I always had a an awareness of God, so it wasn't like I, it was such a foreign concept to me. And I saw God as this distant, all powerful, judging uh, deity. Yeah. Uh, and and so my concept of heaven was that He was going to have a a sheet that had my name at the top and you know, the uh, pluses and the negatives. And my whole 
my uh, theology was, I hope I'm on the plus side uh-huh. uh, enough, as opposed to the negative. Enough gold stars to outweigh the demerits. That's right. Thing. That's yeah. right. No, that's a, that's a lot of pressure. <laughs> well, then you had pressure everywhere in your life. And so you're, and you began in this high school football coach, did he, it was a, just a different perspective on God? It was. And, and he, he talked about God as, as a personal God, hmm. as someone who was involved and cared about the daily moment by moment um, things that he, that my coach was doing. Hmm. And, and so that was so intriguing and it felt so freeing. And it was one of those, I don't think I grasped the concept uh, completely, but it was enough to, to really get me curious and realize I want to learn more and, and maybe I want some of that. Yeah. So I, I hear it wasn't, he shared some, some truth with you, but it was, it sounds like it was even more just who he was that there was something that, that it, that drew you to, well, if, if God's like that or, or is, it can be expressed that way. I'm, I'm, I'm curious at least. That's right. I, uh, I was drawn to my football coach because of his character mm-hmm. and his integrity mm-hmm. and his courage. And I wanted to find out how he got there. Mm-hmm. And so he would point to God. And so I just connected the dots and thought, well, if I want to have that same character, integrity and courage, maybe I should go find out the source and learn more from that. I, I think that, uh, and this is where my football coach really uh, played another role in my life, is he really challenged me to to shoot further than I thought I was capable. Mm. So my plan was, because we were, I mean, we were living under the poverty level, mm. so my plan was go to a junior college and and then go maybe go to a uh, a a state school and mm-hmm. you know get a diploma and do those things and it was my football coach that that recognized or maybe gave me this vision of hey I, I think you've got what it takes mm. to to actually aspire for if you want and so he encouraged me to apply into computer science engineering which I didn't even know what that meant but that and encouraged me to apply to these uh prestigious schools and and I thought okay well I'll try it and but in the back of my mind I was thinking how would we ever pay for this Mm. and he said well there are these things called financial aid and you definitely would qualify based on on where your family is so let's just play it out and see where God leads you I love that it sounds like he I mean not only did he embody what a, a person of character and of faith in Jesus was, but that he believed in you and he wanted to, he, he someone seeing potential in you. What a, and I don't know, I just see that so much in you. I'll just say this, Anthony, that seems like you, something you have deeply embodied is, is seeing potential in other people and believing in them. But so that definitely is something you experience there, but you get to, um, so you do apply and where did you, where did you end up going? I ended up going to the University of California at Davis. Go Aggies. Nice. nice. <laughs> so now you're out on your own, and, and what was college like? Was it a good experience? Uh, it was rough. I, mm. Again, it was, it was like another transition mm-hmm. of my life, but it also caused me to, to question a lot of my underlying beliefs mm. of that uh, 
the American dream was all there was to live for mm. and accomplishing and, and being successful was, was, was the ultimate uh, goal. Mm. And then at the same time, I was traveling this path where I started to meet the, oddly enough, fraternity guys who were part of navigators and campus crusades and inner varsity. And, and they were traveling a different path. Mm. I mean, we were all working hard. We all were aspiring to have uh, careers or go to grad school, but there was something different about them again. And and so there, you were seeing something about the quality of their lives, not not just the uh, words that they were speaking about about faith. No, and in fact, I I think most of them, their lives were so attractive that I wanted to understand why. Mm. I did this crazy thing after college. I decided that I was going to go with one of my high school buddies and we were going to backpack through New Zealand and Australia. And and I had this secret desire that I wanted to go on this backpacking trip and I wanted to to really give God a chance mm. to really speak to me that if the things that these navigators and campus crusades and born again Christians are saying is really the path for me. I would like him to speak to me. Mm. So, so did he? He did. So oh. it was, uh, I, I still remember this. I was in the middle of nowhere at Kaikoura, New Zealand. And, and I wanted to give it a, a good try. And so I was reading my Bible every day mm. during the backpacking trip, uh, oddly enough. And, and then I ran into Isaiah 40, and there was something about that chapter that just, it just helped me understand the, the greatness and the power of God. And at that moment, I thought, why would the God of the universe care about me, um, this lowly immigrant in the middle of nowhere? I remember thinking, I could die here and no one would care. And as audibly as as I can remember, I felt God say, I would. Mm, wow. And, and and then I I I heard him say to me, um, very personally, not just kind of this trite way of like, if you were the only one, I would still send my son wow. to the cross. Wow. If there was a moment when people say, well, when did you accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior? It would be at that moment, and it's still as clear to me as that very day. Wow. So then you, you, you finish this trip out, you come back to the States? We did. And then what? Got time to enter into career? It was, and and I remember, and then maybe this is the most one of the most significant steps of. Uh, I felt like the Lord called me to the Bay Area, hmm. and I remember my family, and especially my my dad, saying, "What? No, we're Southern California people. Oh. We're, we're not Northern California people." And I can't even explain it because it didn't make sense. I I said, you know, I I feel like God's asking me to go to the Bay Area and and work in high tech. And and he said, that just does not make sense. But you just sense that. I did. And so I packed up my Datsun B210 and a full oh, tank yeah. of gas and 
crammed all my worldly possession, which there wasn't much, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, headed up to the Bay Area. I, as I, uh, my career in high tech moved on, I became a, a software sales person. And, and so that in sales, especially in the Silicon Valley, it's all about what have you done for us lately? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And you were rewarded mm -hmm. quite lucratively. Uh, so that kind of fed. Uh, mm -hmm. And so I was enmeshed in, in this, I was it for by most accounts, right? At least from my perspective, I was living the American dream. Sure. And, and yet there's still, it still felt like there was something missing. And huh. even as a Christian. Yeah. So, yeah, because you're at this point now. You you meet your wife Cheryl. Where'd you guys meet, by the we way? We met because we were high school uh, volunteer. We were volunteers at our high school youth group at our church. At the church, okay. So you meet at church. You guys fall in love, get married. We you're, did. And you're in this church. How did you? And find it was it? that simple. It was just like <laughs> probably took a, a week, two. I don't know. In fact, if we so you you and Cheryl meet, you're in the high tech world still uh, vocationally. Uh, yeah, tell us more about your journey at church. Yeah, I, it was. It's the only church I've ever known. Mm -hmm. a, a Protestant church. I've mm -hmm. been part of Catholic church. And what I love about PCC is they embraced me. It, it's a traditionally a Swedish church, mm. uh, and so here I am, the uh, Filipino immigrant coming into this Swedish church. And I remember just the back then the. Uh, the diversity was not there as it is now. <laughs> Let's say, out. but I stood out, <laughs> and it was clear. And and, and yet, I never felt um, I was singled out. Mm. In fact, they embraced me, and they became my aunts and uncles mm. and grandparents in the faith. And for someone who came from a divorced family and an immigrant, it felt like I landed. I won the lotto with this incredible mm. family. Wow. The other thing is they really poured into me, and, and I would say I was really discipled mm. within PCC. Yeah. I remember being part of the, the youth group, and I would lead a small group, and I knew nothing about the Bible. And so I found this one kid, literally, who was in my small group, who was grew up in the church, and and, and I would make him explain to me how to read the Bible or what the Bible said so I could lead the small group. So I was literally half a step ahead. Uh, but through that experience, I felt like the uh, the youth pastor at the time was actually part of, uh, of Soul Care Now, hmm. uh, Chuck Weissong. I was discipled by him and I was hmm. nurtured and I grew and uh, I grew as I was help, trying to help these high schoolers grow. And it went from high school group to Cheryl and I led our our young marrieds class to our home builders class, which is the young families. And then I served in the in the elder uh, board at at the at PCC. It was became the f chairman wow. of uh, of PCC, the church chairman. So it was crazy. I mean, the, just how God has a great sense of humor. In fact, because your journey was that you you're you're obviously really key volunteers and and very engaged in the life of the church. It's your it's your not only your faith family. It sounds like it's in a lot of ways, it's a it's a real family to mm -hmm. you to you and your in your your. It really your, did become that yeah, way. Yeah. I mean, 
Um, and it became the family I never had and always mm. wish I had, mm. uh, both from relationally as well as spiritually. And then it became your job. <laughs> then it became my job. Tell us about that journey and that transition. Yeah, about 11 years ago, um, the so PCC has this crazy ministry that it bought a fitness center about 45 years ago, and um, it's got a big swimming pool, a basketball court, tennis courts, weight room. And the idea was to, in, instead of waiting for, for people to just come to church, how can we reach out to the community? And, and so they, they had the vision of buying this fitness center. And, and uh, 11 years ago, the executive director p- position opened up. And uh, the lead pastor at the time, Gary Gadini, another uh, Soul Care alumni, uh, and one of my close friends came up to me and said, hey, would you consider leading that ministry? Is that that at all on your radar? Like, yeah, I think I might want to run a fitness center. (laughs) No. (laughs) And in fact, it was the oddest time where I was... I was peaking in my career in terms uh, of software sales and it was very lucrative. And I had I, at the time, you know, three kids that were getting ready to uh, finish high school and go into college and we had a mortgage. So it did not make sense on paper mm. to consider that. And at the same time, I couldn't shake this feeling of the God was was leading me towards it mm. uh, but i'd never run a fitness center i didn't go to seminary you know the and the, and the, to add to that the center was was bleeding it, it hadn't it was in trouble financially and operationally so wow. uh and the church was wondering if was it even a ministry and you know should we keep going with it but other than that, things were yeah, going yeah. great. Yeah, like, well, this sounds like a, <laughs> a jewel to pluck off the tree. Wow. So, you, But you just sense God telling you, and so you end up saying yes. Uh, that was probably one of the riskiest moves yeah. I've ever made. And, wow. But it felt, it, it just, and I checked with my, with my uh, mentors and, and my counselors, and it, it just felt, um, yes, that was the, the thing to do. And uh, it's a big risk. And I know you're you're not going to brag on yourself, but I will just uh, I n- happen to know that over eleven years you you did turn that thing around, and I know not just you, but you led that uh, that to turn around, and it went from losing a lot of money to actually turning a significant profit. That's right, and and, and uh, part of it is that I just thought, wow, what if we can take the organizational best practices in the marketplace. Mm-hmm to the relational best practices that I experience in within my church community and combine those together. Wouldn't that be really cool? Yeah. And, and so the center gave me that, that, um, laboratory to try a lot of things that failed Mm -hmm. (laughs) and some things that succeeded. And so I was able to, to do those two things together. Wow. We really wanted to build a community, not just a club. 
And mm. so we changed it. It used to be referred as the club and we called it the center. Mm. And so we would say, well, you know, the center is where it happens, is where you feel cared for, you feel connected and you find a community. Mm. And then the light bulb started to to turn on for us. Uh, well, what if instead of waiting for people to come to church, we would bring the church to the people through the center? And so yeah, when wow. once we got that going, uh, again, um, this is a God thing. The city came to 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 us and said, "Hey, we have this. The PE programs in California had just been eliminated from in terms of budget cuts. You guys run a fitness center." would you consider helping the schools by taking what you do here at the center and bringing it to the schools and running the PE programs for the schools? That's amazing that they would even approach you guys with that, honestly. Yeah, and I couldn't, I, there was nothing that I planned around that. Now, PCC had been going to the, tr to the city and said, hey, what can we do? We want to be a vital organ of the city that if we went away, you would care. But we never, we never envisioned that this would be that it would be the center that would actually make that connection. So we we actually created a program. It's called the PE Plus program because it was more than just physical education, and the plus meant that we wanted to really help the kids socially, relationally, mm. emotionally, spiritually. Mm. We we knew that we couldn't bring Bible tracts or invite people to church. Uh, when we were on campus, but we made sure that we prepared and we were essentially discipling these PE coaches so they can disciple others mm. when asked. Yeah. So we, we entered into this agreement with the city and a foundation that was funding us that uh, we couldn't proselytize, but if we're asked why are we doing what we're doing, that we could tell our story. Oh, that's great. And and I love what I love about that too, though, is it's it's not uh, because you know we when we talk about sharing our faith these days, and this is just this is my personal viewpoint, is that we often want to jump straight to proclamation. You know, how do I I want to tell you, I want to tell you, and and again that we proclamation is pretty important, but 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 you here are before there's proclamation, there's there's demonstration, there's embodiment of of like you're being Jesus to people. And, and just starting there, I'm just going to be there. We're going to show up. We're going to serve you. And then if you want to ask, I'm available. That's right. That's right. And, and I, and I would say that's where soul care played a significant role in my mindset. So you went through in actually one of the earlier cohorts right Anthony that's right I was I was the third class I believe yeah uh, so what was it and so somebody says hey you should do this thing and did you have any idea what you were getting into no not at all uh, but a friend of mine who's involved with with soul care uh, at Wellspring Suzanne Seashulls mm. uh, knew that I had just taken on the the leadership of this ministry at the center and um, and she said, hey, there's this program for, for pastors, and would you be interested? And she told me about it, and I, I remember saying, so let me make sure I got this straight. You, This program exists so that I, as a pastor, can 
can focus on taking care of myself, not just others. Mm-hmm. And I, and, and it's not going to cost me except for time and commitment. And it's going to teach me how to lead myself and others better. Like, why wouldn't anybody <laughs> want to do this? Why wouldn't everybody want to do this? Right. And, and, and because I hadn't gone to seminary and I'd, literally did not know what I was doing because I'd never run a fitness center. And this is at the very beginning, right when I just had Mm. switched from the marketplace to vocational ministry, Mm. I thought, yes, I'll, I'll try it. You know? And again, like you said, I, I'll grind through anything to learn how to, to be a pastor. Mm. It was the best, uh, training, development, discipling, um, move that I, I think I've ever made, or I, I didn't really make. I just said yes to it. Mm. Can you maybe hit a couple of highlights of your time in Soul Care? What was it that was so impactful? Uh, there were a lot. Uh, I think the the one main thing is it moved me from focus on be on doing to becoming. Mm. And, Speak and that, about that a little bit. Yeah, as I shared earlier, my family of origin and just my own story and personality got me so focused on doing, mm-hmm. which was a strength of, of being tenacious. And at the same time, it became my Achilles heel mm-hmm. that I equated my identity and my worth to what I was doing, yeah. even as a Christian. Yeah. So, um, yeah, so I was wrapped around that. And, and I know I'm not alone, but for me, it was really critical. And, um, and so it really, soul care gave me the, the safe spaces Mm. because I think for us as pastors and leaders, when we're, when we're struggling and when we feel isolated or tired or burned out, where do you go for that? Right. You don't tell your board about it. You don't Mm. tell your congregation, you don't tell your men's group or your small group about it. And so I, Soul Care provided this separate safe space for me Yeah, to, to, to just work through um, some of my brokenness and some of my false self. And it gave me handles on, on that and models and new models and ways of thinking of, of I'm not just a human doing, I'm a human being. Mm. And, and and practical disciplines and 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 uh, things that I could do to nurture my soul. So it wasn't just this theory; uh, it was very practical. Yeah, yeah. That 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 is. It, it, and and of course, Anthony, I, Anthony, and I being on on the staff here, it could sound like we're just doing an ad. Um, but that's. But I think for both of us as people who have participated. Uh, not only in soul care, but have uh, been in vocational ministry for over a long period of time, there is a reality to, one, having a safe place where nobody needs something from you. No one uh, is going to share beyond this space what I'm, what's going on in me so I can really open up and be real. Um, and then, but very tangible and practical practices and pathways to walk in. That's right. But you didn't just sort of receive this for yourself. Um, I mean, one of the things I've been so uh, amazed by with you, Anthony, is that you you did take this these things you were learning into your your workspace. And can you tell us a little bit about that? I felt that 
I had discovered or been given this gift. Mm. And and it helped me so much in my in my personal healing. Why wouldn't I share it to my staff first, my direct reports? I, I take people leadership pretty seriously. Yeah. Like I, I actually believe that my first order of ministry is to is to my direct reports. I want them to feel known and valued by name and mm. by me more than anybody on on our team because mm. I feel like God's given me that responsibility and that opportunity and that gift. And so I started to integrate some of the principles and practices one in my own life. Uh, so once I started to feel like okay, I think I got this. It's not just a passing fancy and it was working. I saw it practically working for me. I was able to to meet a lot of the criticism that comes in, you know, the center is a customer service industry. And so you can imagine with that many people and you know, we at one point we were serving 10,000 people. Wow. And at any day all 10,000 would not like what decision we're making. <laughs> and so it helped me meet those those realities of life of being in uh, running a business and in minis- in the challenges of, of ministry without it destroying who I was. So can you give an example of like of how did this play out in in you know one of these soul care principles or realities that you began to put into place uh, at the center? Sure. Uh, one of the things is how do we focus on who you're becoming, not just what you're doing? Hmm. And so with my direct reports, we would have one-on-one meetings and um, we called them our firesides. Uh, and so in our fireside, we built a, a construct that said, we always want to make sure that that it was for you, mm. for our team, and then for our community in that order. Mm. And in the for you, we focused really a lot on... Um, on your belonging and your becoming. Mm. And, and for some people, because of the different faith journeys, it could be as deep as here's what God's doing in me and through me. For others, it's just an awareness of that there's something happening in me as I lead others, as I encounter challenges. But it was really focused on the individual. And at the end of the day, isn't that why we do ministry? Uh, and why we're in ministry, it's to help people. Like you said, uh, we have this joke at the center of my biggest win is I want you to become the best version. Sounds like Ted Lasso, the best version of who God created you to be. And I made it really clear to every person we hired, where it, regardless of your faith journey, and, and we hired atheists, agnostics, Muslims, you know, you name it. And I would say, uh, before you join us, uh, at the, I would be the last interview before they can accept the job. Mm. You have the job. You just need to know that the biggest win is you. I want to make sure there are no surprises for you joining our team. And, and the win for me is for you to become the best version of who God created you to be. Mm. And in my mind, that looks more and more like Jesus. Mm. Mm. And there's always that, pause where we're looking at each other and, and the hiring manager is in the room and all three of us are going what's going to happen here 
And so we would always give candidates, job candidates, 24 hours to think about it mm. because we didn't want to do a bait and switch and we didn't want to pressure them in accepting a job. And for the literally thousands of people we hired for 11 years, whether you were a 15 and a half year old lifeguard to a, you know, 50 something fitness instructor, they sat on the comfy chair in my office and heard that one condition that they needed to understand that they were going to be the biggest win. I love that. I do love that. And I, I kind of, I, yeah, deeply long for all of us as faith leaders, as just as people to have that as our, as our desire and aim. Uh, so then, so 11 years into this uh, ministry, and then now, which brings you here to us, is is you get invited to join uh, the staff here with Wellspring as our new executive director. Can can you tell me wh- what drew you to coming alongside? I know that Soul Care itself was so impactful for you personally and in your leadership. Um, what, what made you uh, willing to take a leap then into this new venture, this new opportunity to to work with this organization that does uh, do a lot of what we just talked about, come alongside pastors, leaders, and others to help them in their cultivate a deeper life with God. When the opportunity came up and it was presented, um, it, it intrigued me mm. because I was such a, a believer and a, 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 a practicer of, of the very concepts that um, I thought, could I wonder if if the Lord had used my last thirty years in the marketplace and in vocational ministry to combine those those aspects, those two worlds, and and did He give me those experiences so that we can now share it with others? Hmm. And, and with the pandemic upon us, uh, I saw a lot of churches and a lot of pastors and nonprofit leaders really hurting. Mm-hmm. And the very things that got us here started shaking to the core and, and um, our scaffolding started to fall apart. Mm-hmm. And those were, I recognized a lot of those scaffoldings of doing versus being, of, uh, of you know, be, being a human doing rather than a human being. Mm-hmm. And I thought, wow, for such time as this, if soul care was relevant to me 11 years ago, it is even more relevant to me and to a lot of leaders because of the pandemic. Yeah. And so when this opportunity was presented, I felt that I, it was a great Kairos moment for me. Hmm. I, I, that, that those things of my past and my present and, and hopefully my future were coming together. And the opportunity to, I felt like at PCC, I, I had a chance to, to build out my local church community. And then at the center, I had a chance to bring the church to my city. It feels like, and I wonder, that is Wellspring Soul Care an opportunity to bring it to the region and beyond, to the mm. Bay Area region and beyond? That, that I wonder if, um, if this is the time where that God had prepared and had prepared me and our team to really help as many leaders experience and live into. And, and then 
begin to actually lead their communities, their direct reports, their their cities uh, into into a kingdom living. Mm. Well, that's it is an amazing vision that uh, that that God seems to be stirring. And I yeah. think it's also going to be. I think ministry, Richard, is going to become more and more personal mm. rather than programmatic. Mm. I think there was a time that, uh, and including me, where my focus was on the programs mm -hmm. and scaling and mm -hmm. all those. I think there's going to be uh, that old saying of we may, we used to be a mile wide and an inch deep. I mm -hmm. think a time has come upon us where it's probably going to be better to be an, an inch wide and a mile deep. Mm. Uh, and that goes with our own faith journey yeah. starting with us starting with our direct reports and in our community that we serve um I th and i and i think that's wonderful i mean yeah. again i i became a christian because god's love for me was so personal and so deep uh and it wasn't theoretical and um and i think our society longs for that yeah you know, it, it's not about I got 10,000 friends on Facebook or Instagram. It's, it's that depth of a connection yeah. of feeling known and valued by name. Mm. And I think the pandemic set up, set us up for that, that yeah. it showed us that that was important mm. and is important. And so I think it's a wonderful time for the, the bride of Christ to lean into that, mm -hmm. to fill that, that need and that void and that desire uh, mm. because I don't think that window is going to last forever. Yeah. I, I yeah. think something or someone will fill that. Mm. Uh, I, why not us? We've got the good news. We've got, we've got the, the great message that you are not what you do. You are who you're becoming and your identity is based on God's love love that that and it reminds me of i think eugene peterson quote who said uh the world doesn't need more of you it needs more of jesus in you mm. and so there's this invitation and opportunity to go deep as you said to go deeper ever deeper with jesus so that who i'm showing up as in the world is more like jesus it's more like you said anthony of who i'm becoming not just um here's here's information i want to share with you but here's the light of Jesus that we are living, but I can only live that, that light of Jesus as I am, as I'm diving deeper into who he is and letting him sink more deeply into me. So, so Anthony, as you've heard now, you get to hear what the, the beautiful heart and life of Anthony Mejia, we are so excited that, that God brought you to us as, as Wellspring, this ministry continues to ask, okay, God, you've, put us here for such a time as this and how do we step into the to the needs to the opportunities to the challenges of serving uh the church by serving its leaders and uh those who are seeking to to care for and serve others in our community and beyond so we're just so glad you're here anthony thank you for taking time to just share with us today your your journey your heart and I can, I trust you can see why we're so excited God brought you here to us. Oh, thank you. I'm so excited to be here.
Thanks so much for listening to today's conversation. We hope it's been helpful to you. And we'd love to serve you in any way we can at Wellspring. For more information about who we are and what we do, please go to wellspringca.org or look us up on Facebook. Just search under Wellspring. Until next time, grace and peace.